Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I am Allie. And I am Boomer. And we are in the height of spooky season right now. This is like the closing hours. If you're not in the spirit now, it's not going to happen this year, you know? It's true. How are y'all feeling? I'm, I feel the spirit of the season. Yeah, you're in a spooky mood? I've, I'm in yeah. a spooky mood. It finally got cold here, which is exciting for me. Um, I've been waiting for it. And so yeah. we're in that time period where we're uh, seeing how long we can go before turning on the heat. So I've got like my fuzzy robe on, I'm drinking warm tea, piling on the blankets, cuddling in the couch. Love it. It's finally cold snapped here as well. And and last week was Kat's birthday. And then the week before that was, um, or just a few days before that, but last weekend was another friend's birthday that he has like a, a goth party for since it falls like on October 15th. Nice. Um, and it was cool for that. And then for Kat's birthday, we actually had a little fire on the 18th. So Ooh. yeah, it's finally, it's finally beginning to get a little spooky around here. I've had so many bellies full of cider. And I intend to have so, so many more. I have also made several soups. So I guess it was cold here for a week or two, but it's it's back oh, to yeah, normal soup. summer weather already. I also went out to the um, Crew of Boo parade in the French Quarter last night. Nice. First like Mardi Gras type thing I've done since 2019. And it was fun. I, no- I normally don't do those like off-brand, off-season Mardi Gras events, but... You know, a bunch of giant skeletons mounted to floats and like a bunch of people dancing to novelty horror songs. Like, of course, I'm going to be charmed yeah. by that. Yeah, What's it's you know? yeah, it's a it's a charming one. I've I've been so it's cute. Yeah. And besides that, I've been watching a bunch of like mediocre horror movies all month. Like I've had a few things mostly through podcast homework that I've been like very excited about. But as far as like just throwing on a horror movie to like. Somewhat watched just like one a day. It's kind of my goal. And um, I'm just, I haven't been that excited by much. I did watch all three of the movies in David Gordon Green's Halloween series that just wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? It's like the biggest like zeitgeisty thing I've seen in that respect recently. How were those? Yeah, how were those? Well, I really liked the 2018 one when it came out and rewatching it again i think it holds up very well i think it's like reputation has kind of tanked since then to the point where like now it's like almost a punchline in that scream 5 discourse from earlier this year like it's kind of become the like harbinger for like the worst like a sequel trends of recent years where like Mm. trauma is the monster and you know michael's like a symbol for i don't know laurie's long-standing um mental recovery i don't know i think it's actually a really scary movie about self-fulfilling prophecies like laurie is so convinced that michael and her are like destined to fight and there are a few other weirdos especially the new dr loomis who's also like obsessed with their story and like trying to make sense of what happened in haddonfield the night michael killed a bunch of people that like they all orchestrate that showdown even though michael could not care less about her and he just kills everything in striking distance without any real real thought put into it and i I just think i found that like really creepy that idea that like you're so obsessed with something that traumatized you that you keep like making it a problem for yourself again um because your brain won't let you move on and the movie's like actually really creepy in that way and like tense and then I watched the two newer ones from 2021, Halloween Kills, and from this year, Halloween Ends. And I found them like just really disappointing because they move away from that like tense personal struggle to this like wider scope view of the town that she lives in in Haddonfield and like how they're responding to Michael's violence. The second one was like particularly bad in that way because there's like it's about um, mob justice and like kind of like gun toting America's obsession with vigilantism. So like everybody wants to jump in and kill Michael and like they're like, we're not going to live in fear. We're going to conquer this ourselves. And uh, it was kind of like that thing. Like Mm. if I was there at that school shooting with my gun, I would have stopped it right away, you know? Right, 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 Uh, right. And they all fuck up and Michael kills them all or they end up killing each other by accident with their stupid guns. Which I like in concept, but the movie's just so scatterbrained that like it has to jump between 
instead of like six characters, like 600, like it's all over the town. So there's no actual horror tension from like scene to scene. No, it's got like Roland Emmerich giant cast disorder. A perfect description. Yes, that is exactly what's wrong. Like, yeah, Michael is the natural disaster that they're all like uh, not overcoming together. And then the one from this year actually brings it back down to a personal issue. Um, It just takes a whole new tact where Laurie and Michael are not the focus of the film. It instead picks up with this new character called Corey. And he um, basically is the little kid from the pit. Like he keeps Michael in this like sewer tunnel and brings his like bullies and tormentors to Michael um, and like basically feeds his bullies to the log. And it's like a kind of a larger scope question of like, how does someone become the manifestation of evil on earth? How does like a person become a symbol for evil? Um, and, it, and I guess like, that again gets back to the town shaping a narrative out of just senseless violence. Um, it's just not as good as the first movie. So I don't know. I guess on the whole, I, I think it's kind of cool that they did something different with each film and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like the same slasher template over and over again. Um, and I definitely think Halloween ends is more interesting than the second one, which is just intercutting between different violent acts without any like clear sense of purpose. Like it just kind of drags you all over the place. Uh, but I didn't think the new, I didn't think the new one was particularly great. <laughs> It's cool that they took a big swing, but I don't know. It doesn't get them very far. <laughs> it's, it's high ambition, little reward, I think. And then by the time they actually have to show Laurie and Michael having their big showdown, it's like in the last like 15 minutes, and it feels very much like an afterthought and, and just belongs in a different movie. Mm. And that level of enthusiasm I have right now where I'm just like, yeah, it was fine. You know, I had some good points, you know, took mm-hmm. some chances. I guess it didn't really pay off. That is kind of how I feel about like a lot of horror movies I'm watching right now. And I don't know if it's just a self-selection thing, but like, I'm not hitting the good stuff very often. Uh, speaking of the trauma, trauma is the monster. I saw that you posted about Smile. Yeah, I didn't love that one either. <laughs> yeah, and and in fact, in that movie, they literally say that out loud. Oh my god! That the monster is trauma. Do you not recall? I remember that, and I remember her boyfriend explaining that mental illness can be hereditary. He learned about it online doing his research. It was very bad. It's so bad. Imagine. I was very frustrated and unhappy with that movie. I thought it was a little less horrifically handled than it was in Lights Out a few years ago, where it makes like suicide a heroic solution for your family if you're mentally ill to kill yourself and like spare them your presence. In this one, instead of killing yourself, you're just supposed to go away and isolate yourself. So no one has to deal with your shit. So, uh... I guess a step in a good direction as far as like mainstream horror goes. But yeah, I found that movie very annoying in it's like trauma monster discussions. Had some cool images though. It had several cool images. It's true. But yeah, I also found it like the messaging was annoying. Some good jump scares and like the actual physical trauma monster that she finds in that house in the third act is kind of cool looking, but I, I didn't like it until it was its final form. Right. 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 When it it was running around and it's like just, tall form it was very much like the woman in the house in it when beverly adult beverly goes in in it chapter two to uh her old home and pennywise is there as like just a tall old woman yeah an old woman but tall it was very much that for me (laughs) oh could you imagine i mean i guess the good news is all the good stuff i've been seeing have been like podcast discussion movies so at least I'm like bothering myself and no one else. I'm not spreading the mediocrity around. What have y'all been watching? Well, speaking of Halloween, I actually finally got around to watching Halloween 2. And I don't know. I know a lot of people really like it. I thought it was just okay. The Carpenter one or the zombie one? The Carpenter one. Okay, gotcha. Like, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but mostly I'm just kind of like, okay, it's just running around town some more and yeah i think it kind of might take the same pattern as you know you were talking about the remix because i do feel like the second one follows a lot like a lot of different people and a lot's going on yeah so maybe just going off of that pattern i don't know i know brandon that you uh like the third and it has nothing to do with 
either of the first two. Oh, the third is a Halloween season classic. I'll also go ahead and, and throw some weight behind Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I also enjoy that one. It's one of the great movies about Halloween as a like cultural phenomenon. Okay. Period. I'm excited because <laughs> I'm definitely going to make time to finally watch that one as well. It's kind of weird that like two is uh, such a rote slasher since the first one helped establish a lot of the tropes. Yeah. And then two just kind of like, I don't know, just settles into the rhythm of what those movies are supposed to be. I don't know. It doesn't really like add anything to the template. Yeah. Except I guess the lore that Lori is Michael's sister Sister? comes out of that one. Oh, wow. Spoiler alert. That's its big contribution. You know, one of my things I really love about the original Halloween is that there's just so many like strikingly like beautiful horrific images. Like whenever there's a scene where she walks in the room and then there's the tombstone on the bed, I just find like that still to look like so pretty and I can never explain why to people. Um I feel like there weren't as many in this either. So I think that was another thing that kind of like underwhelmed me about it is like didn't find it to be a particularly attractive movie either. It feels almost like an afterthought kind of movie. I yeah. Because I know what Carpenter wanted to do with the series was what he got to do in three, which was like set a new film during the season every year and not just make these like endless sequels where Michael walks around killing people. <laughs> uh, he wanted to like just create a new Halloween story every year and basically have it be an anthology series. Oh, that would have been really good. Yeah, so maybe when that idea was shot down or at least pushed down the line, he was just like, all right, I'll just give you what you want. (laughs) You want to see this guy walk around and kill some more people? I can do that. Okay, fine. As long as the check clears. Easy, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's not shy about saying that he does stuff for a paycheck sometimes. He's pretty pretty open about that. Yes, he is uh, definitely pretty open about that. Honestly, probably the most famous person who's ever been like, put the dollar in my hand. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and now he just gets stoned and play video games and uh dicks around in his little synthesizers the man has lived a beautiful life for real pretty amazing it's funny i was uh hanging out with a uh, cat and another friend before recording and we were trying to figure out uh you know i was asking for suggestions about what should be my next pick and uh, I was saying, you know, it'll be after Halloween, but it'll still be like fall, so we can still make it a little spooky. And Kat recommended The Fog. And I was like, we have talked about The Fog so much. And I think it's been a, a primary topic on the other as well. But then that did lead us to both talk about how much we both hate The Prince of Darkness. So I want to see that one. I, I've I, heard yeah, good things, actually. I haven't seen it either. And it is on Criterion currently. So a lot. It is very it. highly regarded. And maybe I just had hype backlash about it, but it's very dull. It is carpenter sort of making his own like demoni right it's not him doing a giallo feature so much as it is just him like trying to do la chiesa essentially and if you're into that and you don't mind taking him you know that genre of film which should all be 86 minutes and watching it (laughs) for two hours which i don't think this group does but if you don't then maybe you'll enjoy it yeah i just know it's like that one in his like apocalypse trilogy and i've seen the other two so i'm like uh or not the third one it's technically the second i guess but right so i feel like i i need to complete that but yeah i do feel like generally spooky movies are better when they are shorter like as a general like there are some good good exceptions but you know you gotta love a tight 90 spook fest i also did a uh watch of Nightmare on Elm Street. It's still a classic, beautiful, amazing. I love it. One of the best. I completely agree. Yeah, that's all. That's my Nightmare on Elm Street notes is I love it. And also one of the best closing credit songs ever. It's a nightmare. (laughs) I every time I, I sing that a lot, just generally in my life. So I appreciate that movie on that level as well. I'm going to go ahead and speak on behalf of Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Guardian? Dream Master. Uh, That one also has very great music in it because that one has the Drama Rama song that I really enjoy on its soundtrack that like 
Alice's brother is really like huh, huh, huffing and like working out too. Oh, and then the second one has the touch me all night long song, which oh, is yeah, an actual yeah. great Ooh, ain't house baby, song. Touch me, baby. Mm-mm. That's just a great track. Yeah. yeah, it is good. And then who could forget the Will Smith song? Come on. Great music associated with this franchise. That's true. I think it's just a great franchise. I mean, it's a dream demon. And I feel like, at least for the first three movies, which are the ones I've seen, they really, really do live that premise up. Like, I really feel like they go real far with the idea of dream logic. So you've never seen new nightmare i haven't we we've oh, talked wow. about this and how how i need to see this okay one. that is yeah. required viewing like i think i've said before on here that one three and new nightmare form like a perfect trilogy okay which are the three that um craven actually had a creative hand in right oh well that makes <laughs> so. sense uh yeah because the third one oh i love it yeah so they're good. also the three with heather langenkamp who is she you know nancy is just right behind Sydney as like my final girl, just right, like just right behind. It's a hair's breadth. I yeah, love it. Just because you know, I know we've talked about it, especially in terms of like Hellraiser and specifically the new one. Is some of these movies have these amazing ass concepts, and then they do nothing with them. And I feel like Nightmare right. on Elm Street does not shy away from doing some real ridiculous stuff and i love that yeah if you're gonna open the box i mean literally in the hellraiser version but if you open the box of like unlimited imagination it's really gonna show your ass if you actually don't have anything to back that up like if you can do literally anything and your imagination is like the only limitation when that actually is limited in ideas it's super frustrating it's like you could have done anything here and in the case of the new hellraiser you know what they do with that unlimited playground is uh, make a CW drama about addiction. Yeah. Is that the case? I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, that is, in fact, the case. Like, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, but Brandon's assessment of it is very good. There's some, like, really sick degloving events. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Cenobites are beautifully designed. Oh, but uh, the Cenobites look so good. But it, it's a pretty limited playground once they like actually set up the boundaries of it and for me the thing that i was happy that they still had is the sound that happens when the cinebites are entering like the reality that like bell sound (laughs) because i love that sound like i think that's one of those big like horror movie cues that i'm like oh yes thank goodness (laughs) like the undertaker's entrance music Mm mm-hmm I think a lot of people have exaggerated how bad it is. Like, I feel like a lot of people are really hating on it, and I don't hate it. I had fun with it. I think it was fine. I think it was fine. I mean, I wrote a three-star review, which yeah. is my, um, that's my metric for, like, this was a mediocre film, yeah. <laughs> which I uh, have been hitting a lot lately, <laughs> that exact plateau of just, like, most movies, on average, are going to be average, which is how averages work, and uh, this one is that. I felt the same about Halloween Ends. I felt the same about Smile. Just like, this is really just straight down the middle. An example of where, where the industry is right now, but not anything new in that paradigm. Yeah. I, I truly hope we're not entering another boring time of horror. No, as long as A24 doesn't shut down, we're fine. And as long as the French are horny forever... Um, I'll be okay. Most of my favorite <laughs> horror movies come out of there. <laughs> and they're borderline pornography. So my last movie that was also a new watch. Or, I mean, I had seen parts of it before, but this was a watch all the way through. Uh, Stuart Gordon's Bride of the Reanimator, which I always have fun with Very the fun. animator stuff. So I enjoyed it. And I think one of the things that proves that maybe I'm a little bit of a messed up person is every single like watching the movie every single like intrusive like ooh he should do that thought is exactly the next experiment that he did (laughs) oh he should make a finger spider makes a finger spider oh he should put that human arm on the dog it happens (laughs) so 
Yeah, basically, I'm a little bit messed up, and this movie was on my wavelength of that. And it's also just fun. And my friend and I, that we've been having like our weird Lovecraft watching tests, um, as we were talking about, like apparently Lovecraft didn't like the reanimator story, and I just like the idea of them making these like really really goofball movies and feeling like yeah Lovecraft would have probably hated this and that makes me enjoy it more if there is any solace in the fact that he was such a terrible person um he also seemed to be a miserable person who hated most things yeah so, <laughs> so uh, it's great his name living on and all these like public domain adaptations of his work it's frustrating sometimes but uh just know in your heart that he hated being alive and he felt very little joy in this world <laughs> yeah I mean I'm into that because he was awful and true. a huge racist. Also true. So who cares? Um, what have you been watching? Oh God, so much. <laughs> I have really been, I've really been going to the theater. I have been going now that I've discovered that there's never anyone else there at 10 AM. Or if you're going to see bros, <laughs> I guess no matter what time you go, I've been, uh, having a really good time. I did a, a pretty long and extensive write-up on bros, so I won't talk too much about it other than to say that I think it was funny. I really enjoyed it. I understand why there was not a huge audience response to it, um, but I don't think that it deserves the backlash that it's getting. And I also think that it is constantly, and I'll say it again, very telling how much shit Billy Eichner is getting and Olivia Wilde is getting while David O. Russell is just having another movie. Just having another movie. Whatever. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. I think David O. Russell is getting a lot of shit right now. <laughs> I think his uh, his public perception is pretty much in the toilet at this point. Fair enough. For good reason. Yeah. Yeah, for good reason. You know, but they still let him, they gave him this budget for this gigantic movie that spans continents and has like big movie stars and Christian Bale and like a fake eye and shit. Like, you know, nobody stopped any of that from happening. Nobody was like, actually, you're too much of an asshole and you made Lily Tomlin cry and therefore you are hereby exiled from this Hollywood town. Like, that shit doesn't happen. It should have happened that his money was pulled, but he has lost a lot of money on this production and that probably will speak more to the people who make those decisions than anything else. Because they don't give a shit about Twitter or anything else. I think the other disappointing thing, though, is people who still work with these people. Like Anya Taylor-Joy was in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not surprised Christian Bale was in it. Because he's right. he's an asshole, too. Mm -hmm. He's probably looked at that. He, he watched that video of, like, of him throwing things at Lily Tomlin and was like, God, I wish that were me <laughs> getting away with that. <laughs> Oh, wait, I did. Oh, good for you. Uh, that uh, clip is so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's really it's really distressing about what some people get are allowed to get away with and keep working and how other people are forced to be like, well, you're a woman and you made this movie, so this is a movie. It's failure says blah, blah, blah about women, you know? Yeah. Uh, I will also speak very briefly about another movie that I did a, a long write-up about, which is Do Revenge. It's a... Heather's on a train movie. Oh. Like Strangers on a Train meets Heather's with like Mean Girls and Jawbreaker influence. Um, it's all very candy colored, which gives it this Debs slash clueless vibe. And Sarah Michelle Geller is there, which gives it um sort of that cruel intentions legacy, even though that film was sort of like the least of these that I'm Boo! talking about. I love that movie. <laughs> it's trash though. <laughs> I had a roommate at boarding school that watched that movie every night. It was either that or Moulin Rouge. It alternated every wow. night for a semester and a half. That's beautiful. Oh, wow. And I can never watch either of those movies again. I don't care how good they are. I could never do it. And I can sit here and recite to you every lyric from Placebo's Without You, I'm Nothing, if you want to sit here and listen. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could recite a huge swaths of Cruel Intentions but not as part of my will. Um, I guess my will is how I learned all of that. We, we briefly touched on Smile. Smile I did not write copy about because I searched and I saw that you had already done it. And I said, thank God. <laughs> when you went and saw it, did it have the introduction from the director and the lead actress? 
No, but I find that surprising because I could feel like anybody could have directed that. It was such a, like a mediocre mainstream studio horror to me. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, there was an introduction from the director and the lead, and they were like, "Thank you so much for coming out to the theater. You know, thank you for risking your life <laughs> with impossible lifetime uh, lung consequences to come see our movie Smile about." scary smiling so my old roommate has been wanting to watch this movie for a while he saw the trailer for it he said it looked really exciting he showed me the trailer and i said "Uh uh-huh and so we went ahead and saw it and we came out of the theater and i will say i remember very specifically when we were living together uh there were nights where he would be like i'm just gonna search for the ring on netflix and we'll see what it recommends even though they don't have the ring Um, (laughs) just because he loves that and Smile is that. It's very much that. Um, I thought that the lead actress was actually very uh, convincing. I liked her a lot. And like you were saying, there's a, there are several good jump scares. And whenever she did the intro at the beginning of the movie, and her name was Sosie Bacon, I was like, is that Kevin Bacon and Kira Cedric's daughter? And when I got home, I looked it up. She is. So if I she looks it. like them, that's why. And we we came out of the theater, and there was a group of four of us, and I was uh, on the two top team of that movie was garbage against the other two person team of you know oh it was pretty good, and and what I was saying earlier that there literally is a line where it's like oh trauma is the monster like it's very transparent that's actually a line in this script it's like not <laughs> even trying at all. Don't you think though? And I guess this is where my like mildly positive review is coming from is like the trauma monster trend, which I'm going to pin to hereditary and the Babadook. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Accurately. So don't you think that that trend has at least pushed mainstream horror in a like good direction? Cause to me, this is in the same category as like the bye-bye man or I don't know, whatever fucking conjuring. I would, I would agree. I would, I would 100% agree. It has the same quality level as the bye-bye man. Yeah. But like, okay. So if that, or like an Annabelle sequel or whatever was like the standard six or seven years ago before the trauma monster trend, I just think that the industry is like in a better place now overall because of like the a 24 horror influence. Like it's kind of like, made the mediocre studio shit like step up its game a little bit and like actually have some like distinct images and terrible ideas, but at least like coherent ones. Um, <laughs> like I saw more as like a temperature check of like where horror is as an industry right now. And like, I thought it was like a good sign that things have improved overall as opposed to like six or seven years ago. And definitely since the like torture porn days of the two thousands. I I guess. I mean, anything is better than that. You're right. <laughs> I just, it's an IFC midnight movie. Yeah. It's a, it's a mediocre horror film. And I am, I'm shocked it got a theatrical release. Like, actually shocked. <laughs> that is the sort of movie that should end up, that would normally end up straight to Netflix with like the IFC midnight Gravitas Ventures logo at the beginning of it. <laughs> Well, speaking of straight to Netflix, I'm also glad that you reviewed Do Revenge before I did, because I saw a lot of younger people being very enthusiastic about it a few weeks ago to the point where I wanted to check it out. But like, I also didn't want to have an opinion on it (laughs) because I am also nostalgic for the things it's, you know, stoking nostalgia for. So I'm glad you you got there before I did. It was so fun. Yeah, it looks cute. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Very cute. Although, while we're on the straight to Netflix uh, bandwagon, I will say I have now seen The Ballad of Buster Scruggs as part of the ongoing Coen Brothers watch. It has not paused simply because it is fall. I really loved it. I was going to say, it's not bad. It wasn't my favorite, but I did enjoy it. I just dislike James Franco enough that anything Mm, with him in it, I'm like, why is he in here? You're like me whenever I go somewhere and there's a child. Why is there a child here? Yeah, except James Franco. Yeah. His short is mercifully short. It's, yeah. You oh, know. thank goodness. <laughs> he, you know, he doesn't have that much dialogue. And I think it's one of the, the best ones. The only one I think I was a little bit bored by was the, the wagon train one. 
Um, and mostly because wagon trains are boring. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. if y'all knew this, but there's not, there's not a lot interesting there. I of course read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books when I was a kid because my mom read them and she wanted me to read them and I would just read whatever was put in front of me. Yeah. But I think I remember specifically those books were the first time I realized that reading could be boring. <laughs> I really enjoyed um, the final segment, which was sort of like a oh, yeah, Western the spooky final one was great. ghost coach mm -hmm. kind of story. Brandon, have you have you seen this or, or no? I didn't like it. I wrote a very oh. like middling review of it when it came out, but it was on James's best of 2018 list. So someone on the Swamp Lake screw repped for it. But I, I, I'm generally bored by Westerns and and. Honestly, I'm not the biggest Coen Brothers head in the world. So, like, it wasn't really for me. And I, I shouldn't have watched it in the first place, <laughs> much less written about it. So, I was going to mm. be quiet, politely. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm all about, like, salty descent. So, do it. I mean, what's there to say except that it's very boring, but it has an entertaining, I believe, chicken in it? Is that right? It's been a while. What what has an entertaining chicken in it? Um, I'm misremembering something. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's no chicken, sorry. Come on, this was like five years ago. There's a chicken oh. in Ballad of Buster Scruggs. There is, okay. Well, there, okay, so in one segment, Liam Neeson, he has the wingless thrush, which is the, the Dursley kid, but without arms or legs, and he just recites oh, yeah, yeah. the declaration, and then he, whenever... Uh, attendance starts to dwindle he he buys a chicken that supposedly can do arithmetic mm -hmm. and then he you know lets the the kid drop into the river although you don't see it and then of course in the next one when tom waits is the prospector and he goes up to the the nest to get eggs and the owl comes he puts all of them back except one and he's like how high can a chicken count anyway how high can a bird count it's like oh that's funny like i oh, like yeah, how yeah. they were interwoven i am not a western person either like my favorite television show of all time is Twilight Zone, and I've never seen. I can. I still can't say I've seen every single episode because every time it's a Western episode, I'm like, ugh, change the channel. I'm so bored. Um, when I was in the Meineke the other day, getting my brake pads replaced, and they were they had it on that channel that just shows westerns in the morning, and I was there for like three hours. It was like purgatory. I am not a Western person either, but I did really enjoy this. I think that I find Cowboys funny as long as a uh, Cohen brother is taking care of it. And I respect both of y'all's viewpoints and I have no taste in that. Like, I think there's a lot of Westerns out there that are weird and weird enough to appreciate. But I also understand people being like, oh, I hate Westerns. Trying to get over it. I, I really liked Johnny Guitar when we watched it for the podcast. I don't know, like a couple years ago. But w when we did that, it was for an episode about genres we don't like. And I, I made myself watch Johnny Guitar. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm actively trying to get over it. Uh, uh, you don't have to. Everybody's got a thing. You do not want to hear how many times it took me to actually watch No Country for Old Men all the way through without falling asleep. It's embarrassing. I actually understand and believe that. It's difficult, I think, to get through the first time. Yeah, I still have not seen it all the way through. So don't worry about that. And finally, because you knew it was going to happen, I did watch Dark Glasses. Ooh, I watched ooh. it with a friend. And in fact, I got out the Argento Codex, right? Which we've talked about briefly before on this podcast. Have we not? Yes, but re-explain it. Yes, please. So this is basically, I watched all 22 of Dario Argento's films in 2015, because that was, you know, his last film had come out in 2012. And so I watched everything he made up to that point, including his episodes of Masters of Horror and his 2005 Italian television film, Do You Like Hitchcock, as well as the very difficult to find 1973 film La Cinque Giornate, or The Five Days, which is uh, still my second to least favorite. It only avoids being the least favorite because... Dario Argento's Phantom of the Opera is a crime against God and man. <laughs> How many people do you think have watched The Five Days in the last like half century? <laughs> You've got to be in a very small number there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a VHS copy that I had to when I rented it, I had to pay a deposit because it was wow. it's very it's so hard to find and it would be virtually impossible to replace. Um, so I rented it from a video store, but I still had to pay a deposit in case I ruined it or lost it because of how rare it is to have 
a, a copy that has like English captioning on it. So what's really fascinating, or I guess I'm getting ahead of myself again. Um, so basically I watched all of these movies and anytime I saw a recurring element that came up three or more times, I added it to this chart. And then after I had watched all of them, I gave it a weighted grade. So for instance, there are seven films on which he worked with Daria Nicolodi, his, his former partner and, and the mother of his daughter. Deep Red, Suspiria, Inferno, you know, the great ones. So for each of those films that she appeared in, I gave that film seven points. Likewise, whenever there was some major set piece involving a mirror, that happened seven times. So each of the films that had that, I gave it seven points. And at the end, I was coming up with a weighted number of which Argento was the most Argento. Oh. And the number has changed. Whoa. There's been a seismic shift. <laughs> There's been a change because of Dark Glasses. So Dark Glasses, for those of you, do, of you who do not know, is the first film that Argento has released in eight years, or ten years, rather, since he did Dracula 3D in 2012. It is about a young woman who is a sex worker who... Um, there's an eclipse, but it is not plot relevant. It just happens over the opening credits. Then there is a serial killer who is murdering sex workers. Um, she manages to escape from him, but he pursues her, and they have a car chase. Uh, and at the end of it, she crashes into another vehicle, killing two of the three passengers inside and damaging her own brain in such a way that it renders her blind. So she eventually, uh, she's working with Aja Argento's character, Rita, who is a person who trains newly blinded people to adapt to the environment, you know, how to adapt to using a cane and having a phone and a dog, you know, a phone that talks to you and, you know, how to use that and all of that. And eventually she befriends the child who was left behind in this accident as well, because he saw the van that was chasing her and he can tell her when it's around. So the recurring elements that this film included were totemic animals, as I counted the dog. We have police involvement. We have Aja Argento, both of which are six points. We have killed before clue giving, which is specifically an instance where a character says, oh, I know who did it. I will tell you, meet me here. And then they are killed before they're able to do so. Although in this instance, it is that the person is going for help and is killed by the killer before they're able to do so. Um, we have got the recurring element of immersion in water which was, of course, done best in Inferno with that sunken oh, room. But there yeah. is a part in this movie where uh, the main character and the boy are running from <laughs> the killer, and they decide to cross a river to disrupt their trail. And then they're like, oh, let's get into this area of like reeds or whatever. And it is full of snakes, and there's a lot of snake underwater shots. So I included that. So anyway, ultimately, this ended up with an Argento index score of 91.5, which makes it the sixth most Argento, Argento. It pushed down opera. So now it is slightly ahead of opera, if you can believe it or not, which is actually strange considering that there's no violence against eyes in this movie. The woman well, is all over them. opera. <laughs> yeah. But that eye violence only appears in five films. If it had appeared in this one, it would have been six. And then also that would have given additional points to opera. So what ended up happening is that before the number one most Argento Argento was Suspiria. However, because this film shared very few elements with that and shared more elements with the Giallo classics, it changed the score. So for instance, it used to be that if there was an intergenerational investigative duo, that movie got six points. Uh, now, because this has added a seventh instance of that, any movie with that has seven points, which has changed all of the scores. So now your number one Argento is, does anybody want to take a guess? Tenebrae? Phenomenon? It's Tenebrae. Oh, it's Tenebrae. Fuck okay. yeah. It is Tenebrae. Wow. Yeah. So Tenebrae now has 113.5 points over Suspiria's 110.5 which is followed very closely by Deep Red with 109. <laughs> so Deep Red stayed at number three, but Suspiria and Tenebre switched places. Hey, if the Jalo master is going to be codexed, then um, it makes more sense that a Jalo film would be at the top. 
Yeah. I know. It's it's like it finally true. fixed the problem with the math. So thank you, Dark Glasses. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for all that you've done for us. But also, he could retire. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. have to be making movies. <laughs> no one says that he has to. No, I mean, no one's forcing him to do this. And I'm I'm surprised because you know, even when he was, if you, I have watched the behind the scenes stuff on Jennifer because that first season of the Masters of Horror DVDs had a lot more um, behind the scenes elements. And that was from 2005. That's almost 20 years ago. And he was old then. He was already like, it, it was shocking to see him like on the set, like moving his actors around and talking to them as well as he did, because it's like, oh, he's still like a very physical director. You know, What like, I'm hearing he, is that you have not seen Vortex yet. No, I, I don't know what that is. That's the new Grasbard Noid that he... I have it described was, yeah, this to you directly before. Was, Come on. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, sorry. How many episodes ago? I don't know. Oh, a million. Yeah. Um, so I am kind of fascinated by this like year that he's having because Vortex, he is like the main actor in it, and he's incredibly good. Like he like carries that movie, and he's on screen a lot, um, and he's like really charming and like just like sharp mentally. But yeah, he is like really old and the movie's about how his body is failing him even though his mind is still like firing you know okay but you know he had that this year he has this return to competent directing i want to call dark glasses like it's not yeah, amazing it's but it's like it's fine it's like a pretty it's a movie. good he made a yeah. movie <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't done that in a while something he struggled <laughs> with in the 2000s yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then also i watched this movie on shutter this week and I didn't know this before I put it on, but it said like Dario Argento presents. So like he's now in his like Wes Craven presents era of like producing work from like younger people. And uh, in true Wes Craven presents fashion, it was like really mediocre and probably one of the worst movies I've watched all month. Oh, but <laughs> she will. It's like a she witch will. movie. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got to check that out. <laughs> you know, I'm going to. Vortex is like actually very good. I would say Dark Glasses is like serviceable and uh, She Will I it did not work for me, but um, it okay. has gotten better reviews than the one I gave it. Yeah, Dark Glasses is fine. It, yeah. it, it's nothing to write home about, but like, you know, it's a movie. It's a movie that makes sense and things happen in it. I, I gotta imagine he's been trying to get projects off the ground the entire time. We haven't seen anything from him. It's kind of wild that all three of those things came at once. Mm. It's his year, baby. He's, yeah, I hope the that doesn't mean he's just about to die. The reevaluation of horror as art, I think, is when people are like, "Oh yeah, those Argento movies, Deep Red, that's amazing." You know, I think we have a lot of like we were talking about earlier, like elevated horror to think for people checking out older horror movies or like more influential ones. So. There's probably a lot of people who've watched Argento movies that have never before. And it probably yeah. boils down to his search engine hits being higher than usual and someone being able to present that in a boardroom to get like a project he's been trying to get off the ground for yeah. the past decade actually greenlit. I mean, especially sadly. with the Suspiria remake, quote unquote. Remake. Yeah, that's true. I'll also say, I, I think that the, the worst thing about Dark Glasses is that the soundtrack is very boring. There's not True. really much to it, you know? And I was looking back at like, what were the most common elements between the movies that came out during his golden period? And a lot of it had to do with who his collaborators were, whether it was Daria, whether it was, you know, the Fulci's, whether it was, you know, Goblin and, uh, you know, the members of Goblin. Who were still performing shows like as of a couple of years ago, like yeah. they're still out there, you know, but the soundtrack for this, it's very wallpaper. And you think about the soundtrack for like Suspiria and Phenomena and Tenebre, all of those are very memorable sonic experiences that you have while watching those movies. Whereas this, it didn't, nothing stood out. It was just background. It was just wallpaper. And I think that, that is the movie's biggest weakness and honestly a very small change that would have made the movie much more memorable and have much more staying power i totally agree especially by the time you get to that like barn towards the end it's just like full i don't yeah. want to say torture porn but it's very like rote horror stuff 
like there's a way to like uh to use a <laughs> overused word to elevate that um sequence with music and like actually give it like an interesting texture uh, yeah. that's really missing it kind of just lays there without that yeah i haven't seen it yeah. yet but you know even if none of his collaborators were still making music there's enough interesting newer musicians out there making amazing scores you know like i could see yeah, my ability do an awesome work with argento movies i think that's kind of below them <laughs> they it deserve below them, better work i think you know if we were to go back to argento making masterpieces i don't know all i'm saying is there are interesting people out there working and making great scores that it's so weird to have music that's just boring especially in horror i don't know nobody has any excuses these days in horror i guess my hottest take on this subject is that some of his like classics were only great because of the music and i'm particularly thinking of profundo rosso which i think is pretty lauded highly as one of his best and i actually think is only good because goblin's score is like the best of their career oh yeah that's (laughs) like really drags that one up the list In this trance, did you see anything besides that tombstone? Oh, yes. I saw a priest who, by hanging himself, opened the gates of hell. We were just talking about one of the biggest names in Italian horror. I'd say if you're going to name Italian horror directors, the first two that come to mind are Mario Bava and Dario Argento. But if you were going to name three of them, the third name that comes to mind is Lucio Fulci, who I kind of struggle with. Like his movies live in this like dreamy, loose, surrealist headspace that makes me want to love them because that that is the kind of quality that I love in movies. But they also do that so much so that they're borderline incoherent, if not fully incoherent, depending on the film. So a few years ago, we watched The Psychic. Uh, for movie of the month, which was Boomer's recommendation for that series. And I think I've kind of been ruined on his movies since. Cause like that one actually was him like making the most straightforward, like least Fulci movie of his catalog. And like this one we're talking about today, the beyond, I feel like is the exact opposite of that spectrum. It's like the Fulciest Fulci movie. Too bad there's no Fulci codex. <laughs> well, that one definitely would have eye gore towards the top. If 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 a eye gouging has like slipped down the Argento codex, eye gouging yes. would be one of the very first things in the Fulci one. And there's a lot of eye gouging in the Beyond. So much. <laughs> I I always wanted to watch this movie because it's set in Louisiana, and if you read the blurbs on it, it says set in rural Louisiana. Um, it is filmed entirely in New Orleans. So uh, it's supposed to be this like vision of hell, but it's actually like this heavenly world where like all of Louisiana is actually as cool and as beautiful as New Orleans and not. And Madisonville. No, Mandeville, right? Like, because you even see the the causeway. See, that's bullshit because they cross the causeway to go to the North Shore, but the house that they show is the house they shot Pretty Baby in. Yeah, it's the Otis house in Madisonville. I'm almost 100% positive. It does. That doesn't make any sense. Like the lush courtyard and like the very vertical structure of it. I, I could have sworn that oh, was like edge of the French Quarter. About the quote unquote house at the crossroads. Crossroads. I thought you. Yeah, not the not oh, the hotel okay. itself. I'm sorry. We oh, I was about talking the about the the yeah. hotel, which my, is the Oda's house. Okay. Damn it. All right. <laughs> We're all on the same page now. Uh, something we can all agree on is that New Orleans was built on seven gateways to hell. I think that sounds about right. Uh, it's the reason we don't have basements here. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I that there was a basement, and then she was like, I don't know, it's flooded. I was like, well, duh. <laughs> yeah, you cannot have a basement in Louisiana. It's it's We're built on mush. It's not allowed. So this uh, British actress, I don't know if she's playing a British character, but she, she inherits this home <laughs> in Louisiana, uh, and she moves down here to run a hotel. Because it's like all she has in the world. It's like, I'm going to make something of my life with this inheritance. And um, everything keeps pointing to the fact that she should just bail on it. Like uh, every time someone tries to 
do a minor repair on the property, yeah. they are immediately killed in some horrific it's accident. The demonic version of Money Pit. Exactly that, yes. And that's because the house is built on a gateway to hell. Uh, there was a painter who lived there, um, I believe in the 19th century? I can't remember when that was that early scene was set. 1927. Yeah, 1927. It felt even earlier than that. It sure does. Because he shoots it in sepia tone, which is not something you want to see from an Italo horror. (laughs) Just drains all the color out of it. Uh, The gore looks pretty good in that that contrast, like old-timey sepia tone, Mm -hmm. but very glad the color returned to the frame after the flashback. Uh, The painter is aware of the gateway to hell and um, tries to open it with his art uh, and with this like old Necronomicon-style book that's laying around. And um, he is killed by the village in like an act of mob justice. And um, his work has continued on when it's inherited by this uh, descendant of the owner of the hotel. And um, I will not give any more of a plot summary from there because actually what happens in the movie is just like a loose collection of weird events. There's like the Fulci zombies you would expect. There's a lot of eye gouging. Um, The family members of the plumber who tries to unflood the basement are tormented by the walking undead to the point where like, I kept thinking like, did I miss something? Was I missing like a little snippet of context that I like look away for a moment and not understand how these things are connected. And uh, nope, the movie's just kind of like that. It's like a half remembered dream until a really beautiful final shot where uh, the woman who's inherited the hotel and her love interest step through the gateway and are in this like, Tarkovsky style vision of hell at the end. Um, it looks very much like a desolate landscape you'd expect to see in like Stalker or something. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I like this movie. I think it's good, but I I still have the same standoffishness I have with most Fulci stuff. Where I'm like, this is a really beautiful, gory, upsetting collection of scenes. I wish you had put a little more effort in the connective tissue between them. Like I could have watched this on the back in the background at a party and talking over it, and I would have gotten the same amount out of it that I did just intently trying to <laughs> follow the story as it went along. One hundred percent agree. Uh, yeah, is that indicative of how you feel about Fulci in general? Because I feel like his his star is rising. I feel like his uh, appreciation in the culture is only going up in recent years, and um, I, I find it a little difficult to rally behind that. Was this your first watch of this movie? I watched it twice for this conversation because I felt like uh-huh. I had um, spaced out and missed something or forgotten something. <laughs> and I then I... went back and watched it and realized that, no, that was just the way it is. Just how it is. Yeah. Um, that is this movie. It's not my favorite. I actually prefer House by the Cemetery of like this theoretical trilogy. What's the third movie in the trilogy? It is the third one. This is the second one. The first one is, um, the first one is City of the Living Dead. Yeah, I've seen neither of those films. City of the Living Dead is um, not my favorite either. I like House by the Cemetery. It has a lot more going on, in my opinion, and it makes a lot more sense. Uh, What's really funny is we have talked about just about every movie related to this one person that I dated sort of briefly. You know, we met, um, things fell together where we were able to go on our first date to see Burning. On our second date, we went to see this movie. (laughs) Our third date got stood up uh, but that was supposed to be uh, Death Spa, and then tried to reconnect while watching Tammy and the T-Rex, and then got left at the theater, all with the same person. So <laughs> this was, because Mardi Gras always falls on a Wednesday, this was Weird Wednesday for the Weird Wednesday screening for... Um, Ash Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It was the Terror Tuesday screening for oh. Mardi Gras in 2019. And I remember sitting in a theater and being like, what is happening? It felt like I was being brainwashed. <laughs> like that's what that's what this movie feels like. It doesn't it feels more like an assault on the senses. And it uh, what's funny is if you go to the Wikipedia page for the Beyond, there's a quote from Fulci that uh, while I was watching it, I was thinking about Inferno because I had just watched, you know, Dark Glasses. And that got me thinking about Argento's older work. And I was thinking about how this movie and Inferno are very similar. In yes, I thought of They it. are more a collection of yeah. set pieces. And well, yeah. they both have Veronica Lazar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who was um, the nurse in Inferno. And she's the woman 
with the the oafish son Martha. who's repairing the place and this one Martha Martha Arthur Arthur Martha so strange Arthur Martha mother there were parts of this meme I'm like what is happening but Fulci said this about the beyond he said people who blame the beyond for its lack of story have not understood that it is a film of images which must be received without any reflection they <laughs> say it is very difficult to interpret such a film but it is a very easy to interpret a film with threads. Any idiot can understand Molinaro's Le Cage Follet or even Carpenter's Escape from New York, while The Beyond or Argento's Inferno are, quote, absolute films. And I'm like, yeah. I want to agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that, but that's not necessarily a good thing. I struggle with late period Lynch in the way that people think that like Twin Peaks The Return is like the height of the medium, and I think it's kind of mush in the same way i don't know you know the the last fulci movie i watched before this was um last halloween i watched cat in the brain and that is quite literally a compilation of gore scenes from various fulci movies stitched together with this like kind of wraparound story um where fulci plays himself and he's kind of like tormented by all the horror he's put on screen in, in the past um and it's kind of this like meta early 90s precursor a little bit to like what Waste Craven would do with that to much higher standards later in the decade and um I think that movie is more coherent than this one <laughs> and uh delivers the same thing which is just like really fucked up beautiful images uh every few scenes and then um these weird lulls between them it's not like it's like constantly beautiful throughout there's definitely these like ebbs and flows yeah. to it where like i get back into it and i'm like really excited and then i'm just like wait what's going on Who, who's this talking why, why are they <laughs> why are they having lunch in this restaurant in the middle of the quarter again so i i wish i could fully get on board with that like cinema of images idea i i guess the image the images would have to constantly be exciting and beautiful for that to be like a five-star yeah, film it doesn't all have to be a gore fest but does need to be a little more interesting than hospital hallway ending on such a transcendent note is always smart in that kind of yes. thing um yes. yeah because then it's like oh all of the plot inconsistencies don't matter it's your right. mind uh the end of southland tales where like the uh armored truck is like floating above the city <laughs> uh, always gets me in that way i'm like wow this movie really got somewhere you know <laughs> it really like reached for something and I, I guess the end of this does the same thing. It like leaves you on a high note. But I, I can't say that um, I'm fully enamored with it. Does that make me an idiot? Probably. Fulci mm. <laughs> might think so, but we don't. Yeah, we don't. At least I don't. <laughs> I don't think it makes you an idiot at all. I think it makes you very yeah. wise. Uh, Y'all want to hear like, me being a wimp? So like, sure. usually sure. gore stuff does not get me. That spider scene really got me and i was like this is really bothering me and freaking me out and i think part of it is just like i don't like animals behaving in ways that they wouldn't normally behave i'm like that's not how tarantulas are but i don't like it because it's a dog attack scene as well yeah there's a dog attack scene but then i was like okay well dogs will actually attack but tarantula is ripping you to bits for some reason it's just like uncanny and disgusting it had me squirming it's a gnarly yeah. scene. Like, I, is that the one where the guy falls off yes. the ladder and he's just kind of stuck on the ground? Yeah. And then these tarantulas crawl in like a carpet. Like, there's so many yeah. of them. And they really do, like, make a meal out of his face. Like, they pick off one little chunk at a time. Uh, I actually loved that scene, I, though. No, I appreciated that scene. Like, I don't know if I'm desensitized to gore or what. Because, like, usually I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. Cool. This scene actually made me, like, bothered <laughs> it actually bothered me which i appreciate worth noting this did make the video nasties list for its violence and it yeah. is nasty <laughs> hope you don't mind seeing eyeballs getting completely just fucking smushed in slow motion because that happens a few times this man has directed 50 movies maybe more than 50 movies um i i don't have like an overall scope on his career the way i do with like baba and argento not not that I can claim like Boomer to have seen all of Argento, but I've seen enough to like have a handle on his career. Fulci, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still poking around, um, but I have seen this one touted about as like his best work. 
And I really do feel like the psychic is the best one I've seen so far. Yeah, the psychic was good. Thank you. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> but I don't know the way he shoots the causeway, which was like at the time the longest bridge in the world over mm-hmm. water. Just the blind lady with those like marbled contacts oh. standing in the middle of the yeah. road, speaking ominous gibberish. It's really eerie and yeah, beautiful, and, you know. You know, when you're the only person on the causeway. Oh yeah. Like something eerie. weird is going to happen, right? Yeah, I did appreciate that. I almost want to recommend this only as one of two things. A theatrical viewing, which it sounds like for Boomer was about the same as watching it at home. So maybe that's not the good way to go. Or just like background fodder for this time of year where like you don't necessarily have to pay attention to it. Because I feel like that way madness lies. Like uh, me actually trying to like hyper focus on it and like give it a fair shot only made it more frustrating. Yeah, I was sitting here and by a certain point I was like, well... I guess this is happening now. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah, I guess now finally we get zombies. We've only been hinting at them, you know. I guess this doctor isn't smart enough to realize, despite having done it multiple times, you have to get the head. Yeah, even after he gets the head, he's like, mm, let me try a gut shot. Uh, nothing. Hmm. What about what about a chest? Mm, no, nothing? Okay. I do love that um, even the few movies from him I've seen... Um, that zombies just sort of appear no matter what the scenario is, <laughs> you know, like he has a very standard look for his zombies and they are just kind of a fact of life in his world. Uh, they just sort of like come out of nowhere and need to be shot down. Yeah. I mean, why not? Why not have a gate to hell open and then a hospital full of zombies to which I was like, I don't like the survival rate in this hospital. <laughs> There's all of these dead people coming out of like everywhere. At various stages of decomposure all in the same room yeah. too, which is very strange. I I watched an interview with the main actress um in this and uh she talked about how the extras who played the zombies like made a career out of that where they would just like star in a bunch of cheap Italian horror movies and that was pretty much their only gigs. Wow. Uh, interesting. What a gig. You know, Allie, since you are saying that you're planning to watch Dark Glasses, you should know there's also a there's also a dog <laughs> attack scene in that as yeah, well. See, yeah, no spiders. Spiders is what really got me. Like dog attacks, sure. What about snakes? What about snakes? Uh you know It stressed me out, I'm gonna be honest. The snake pit she falls into. Okay. The thing about the spiders is me being like no, tarantulas don't act that way. Why are they acting that way? What's going on? Therein lies the horror. <laughs> yeah, it was more just like freaking me out because I'm like, this is uncanny. I will say my favorite version of the scene is actually the cat one in Inferno. If we're going to get Inferno. Yeah. That cat attack is pretty great. Also, the witch in Inferno, she's goals. Just hanging out with her cat everywhere. It's how I want to be. I was also thinking of that movie watching this, um, but more because of the seven gateways thing, Mm -hmm. like, you know, the three mothers houses that are like spread across the world. And even that as like inconsistent and like thinly sketched out as it is, is more coherent than what's going on here. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with these other gateways. I didn't really realize that that was connected to other movies um, in a trilogy. Well, it's not. It's it's a trilogy. It's even less of a trilogy than Argento's. Three mothers. It's it's a trilogy the way that like Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy is a trilogy. So is the Gateways lore part of that? Or nope. wow, wow. Okay. I mean, in <laughs> there is something evil underground in the house by the cemetery, but I don't think it's related at all. And what's interesting is the hotel was called the Seven Doors. So I think there were seven doors underneath the hotel. Like, is that what was going on? But there was really only one door. I'd like to think that all seven gateways are in various parts of New Orleans. I believe like, that. There's definitely one under a checkpoint. Oh, Charlie's. yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Checkpoint Charlie's for sure. There's one at Snake and Shakes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's all dive bars in one hotel. That makes <laughs> yes. sense to me. So, I don't know. I liked this movie. I just wish I could get on board with it as, like, an Italo horror classic the way that a lot of people have, especially because of the local element. But um, instead... I just think it's pretty good. Yeah, it's sort of like what do you what do you even say about it? Well, we are covering something on next episode that freaks me out as much as spiders eating people's faces freaks Allie out. Uh, we're we're gonna do surgical horror as a topic, Ooh. which surgery stuff. 
uh, like that imagery actually like hurts me physically to watch and stuff. And like, um, you know, I, I have a pretty like strong stomach for on-screen gore, but like something about surgery in general actually disturbs me. So it's a good time to like squeeze that in before Halloween's over, I think. And we're starting with the movie Body Parts from the early 90s starring Jeff Fahey about a man whose arm is replaced with the arm of a serial killer. Oh, I've seen that one. It's good. I'm excited. For a certain value of good. <laughs> For a mainstream studio horror of its time. Kind of makes me wonder if Smile will be more interesting in 20 years than it is now. Unlikely, but Unlikely. it could happen. <laughs> I'm not any more interested than the remake of Prom Night now than I was 15 years ago. See, I think I think Smile being that equivalent now is a good sign. <laughs> the Nightmare on Elm Street from 2009 is not the industry standard anymore. Instead, it's it's whatever Smile is. Fair enough. Things are in a better place. Argento's making movies again. <laughs> We're doing okay. Tell an 